Deuteronomy chapter 6 and 7, I name it the commandment. We see here in Deuteronomy chapter 6, the very first part is the commandment or the essence of God's law. Moses is teaching this new generation to go into the promised land. He emphasized over and over what uh, God's expectations are through Deuteronomy. He continues here this evening and how important it is. It, it's, it's, you know, it's almost like I, you're really looking, thinking through this. It's, it's like, here's the big picture, guys. And okay, let me get a little bit more specific for you. And then let me re recount this a little bit more details. And tonight he senses it down to one sentence that is for them to remember. And it should be something that we must remember as well because it's part of the two great commandments for us. And so uh, as we see here, in just the first th three verses here, we have to remember that the commandment uh, before they entered in Canaan, it says, Now this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you that you may observe them in the land. Observe means not just let me look at it. Oh, that's fine. I see it. No, no. Observe means you do. Observing means you do it. Not just look upon it from a distance, but actually do it. Observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess, that you may fear, your, fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you. I've given it to you. I've told you very clearly in this letter here, uh, outlining exactly what God's expectations are of you and the commandments. So don't jump over it. Don't side swipe it. You just, you listen, hear it, and observe it, and do it, and keep it. And you and your sons. So it's not just you that are hearing it, but your sons and your grandsons to come maybe. All of the people in the next generations to come must hear these things. That means we'll see they're going to be told that you need to teach these to your children and teach these to your grandchildren. And all the days of your life and that your days may be prolonged. So there is a benefit here. Your, lay, your, your days will be prolonged. You're going to have a long, longer, healthier life here in regards to God's working in and through your life. Therefore, hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it that you it may be well with you and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord your God, the Lord God of your fathers has promised you a land flowing with milk and honey there's such a promise is given to him if you could only listen kids you know and listen grandkids and if you would just listen to me what the God has promised your fathers and your forefathers there's 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 a beautiful blessings that are coming your way this is a land of flowing with milk and honey. This is a place where you can multiply. Back in those days, it wasn't, oh, let me think. Man, I'm going to have one child? Uh, maybe or maybe not. Uh, you know, two children? Okay, we have to. You know, and it's like the pressure to do it. No, the, multiple kids was a blessing. <laughs> multiple kids is still a blessing today. Regardless of what the population thinks today, is still having children and grandchildren are still a blessing. And here, multiply, they're promised here, if you would multiply, your lungs will be, days will be prolonged because their, their days were shortened in these days. Yeah, we sit there and go, oh, it's, it's nothing to think you're going to make it till 90, 80 and 90. It's like it's a common, that's not common back in these days. These are rough days for many of them. 
So it says here, the Hebrew, the emphatic here that Moses is saying, his attention is the commandment, the commandment, the commandment. You must obey, you must listen, you must observe this. This is very important. And, and God reduced the law, everything he's been teaching, down to one ruling principle. Let's keep it simple. I'm going to give you one thing to remember going into the promised land. One commandment. That encompasses all the things I've just told you. We just got done going through the Ten Commandments. Just one thing you need to remember. This is not just a New Testament thing. You'll notice where it first originally given by God himself to his people, Israel, in the, going into the land here. That your days will be prolonged. That it will be well with you. You'll be multiplied. You'll be growing. The whole nation will be growing. But it, all that promises rests on one thing. All of those promises are not going to happen. You're not going to be blessed as a nation, your people, if you do not rest in this one thing. And that is the obedience to this one great commandment. And what is that great commandment? Verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, your, Lord our God, the, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Hello? This is not a New Testament thing only. <laughs> this starts right from the very beginning of time. God created us to do what? To love him. Why? Because he first loved you. He created you to worship him. To have a relationship with with him from the beginning of time. In Hebrew, these verses are known as the Shema, or hear in Hebrew, to hear this great commandment. It is the classic Hebrew confession of faith, describing who God is, who is he? The Lord our God. The Lord is one. And what is our duty toward him? To love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. This, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, is essential truth. It's essential truth that we have to understand. He is a person, not some vague pantheistic force out there though that the force be with you and then we have a spiritual moment God thing no no being one he cannot be represented by some contradictory images or anything like that it is the Lord our God our God is one he's not Baal he's not Astaroth he is the Lord God and they are not and that's how he's communicating to them. All these false gods you're going to come across, that you have come across, none of them are God. You treat them like they're gods. You treat them like they're, they're your priorities. And you devote your life to them. You worship those things and people and organizations. But no, there is only one God. Christians must come to renew an understanding of the unity of God. Right from the very beginning of time, they must appreciate the fact that the Lord is one. Not three. 1 Corinthians 8, 6. Yet for us there is one God. We worship one God existing in three persons, not three separate gods. 
Period. And the statement that Moses is saying to him is that the Lord is one. It's, it certainly does not contradict the Trinity. In fact, it establishes it in the absolute truth because the word here in the Hebrew is ichad, E-C-H-A-D, ichad, and it means, it speaks, literally means of a compound unity. Two or more, instead of using the Hebrew word of yachnid or yachid, that it means a very singular or absolute one unity. No, this is the ikkad that we see in the scriptures. Where do we see it in other places? Throughout, this shows this same thing. Genesis 1, 5. So in the evening, the morning, so in the evening and in the morning were the first day. That same word there is ikkad, meaning a compound unity of oneness. Every, everywhere we see this unity of one day is it's just a plurality of one. Evening and morning is one day. Genesis 2.24 is another example. Ikad is saying two, two shall become one flesh. It's a word there, same thing. It's a taking two, but making it into one. Exodus 26.6. Even in, in, in verse 11, talks about those 50 golden clasps, or clasps that were to hold the curtains together uh, uh, so that the tent would come for the tabernacle. And it's ikkad, or a unity of one. All of 50 of those are oneness to make that happen at the tabernacle. The other thing that we have to understand in the, the Hebrew language is also the Lord our God is Elohim. It is a grammatically for the Hebrew word is a plural word used as if it were singular. The verbs and the pronouns used in, in a general plurality shows of Elohim, which is two or more. It's a compound oneness or unity. Those Hebrew words are very critical because many People see not the one God, they see multiple gods. Or, or they don't understand the Trinity as three in one. They don't, they don't understand these things. And as you grow and mature as a Christian, you will. But if you think you completely understand how that all happens, you're, gonna, you're not God. I always draw out the triangle. If you ever draw out a triangle, you have three equal uh, angles in one triangle. And it's the best visual for you to understand three in one. There's one triangle, but made up of identical three angles. All sides are the same. The angles are the same. It's identical. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are identical. All identical characteristics, three persons, one God. And what do we need to do? We must love this God. With all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, knowing who God enables us to act toward him rightly, to be able to give him his due. We're to love him. That is what people say, what do I do now with this relationship with God? Love him. What does that mean? Whatever he shows you. Worship him. Love him. Be obedient. Pour out your heart. Communicate with them. If you love them, then talk with them. If you don't talk with them, how can you say you love them? 
God wants a complete love from us, not some partial love. This love is appropriate because he loved us completely. 1 John 4, 19. We love him because he first loved us. So what does God expect from me? What does God want from me? Your love. Your simple, complete devotion of love to him. How do we know that? Because it says with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. We're talking mentally, spiritually, physically, every aspect of your makeup is to be devoted to the love of God. That's what Moses is telling them. That is what God is telling us. That is what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to have a relationship with God. And when we really love the Lord with all of our heart and soul and mind, then everything else is freely given to the Lord. There's nothing that God asks you. He doesn't tell you and force you and demands anything of your money, your time, your efforts, or will, or submissions, or so forth. All he asks you and me is to love him. And as you love him, you cannot not give to him to show love, to do what he's called you to do. Because he's created a plan for you. He's created a purpose for you in your life of creating you to serve and worship him and do his, his, his will. And so many people Say they have this love for God and they, they just think they have to work, 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 work and I have to give more money and give more time, more effort, more will, more this. Force it, work it, work it, work it, work it, work it. And without giving him your love, all of that you've done for in his name that you say is all wasted. It's all wasted. It perhaps all lost. Because if you give and do anything for God without the heart of love for him, it is wasted. Jesus called this the great commandment in Matthew 22, verses 37, 38. He said the second commandment, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, was like the first great commandment. When we love God our God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength, every aspect, our will is to be his will and we're just, it is easy to love your neighbor. You can love your neighbor, it's easy. It is easy to love your neighbor, even your enemy, if you are absolutely in love with God and willing to do whatever he's called you to do. The struggle is, uh, you and I have struggles loving our neighbor, loving our family, loving people who are not perfect in your eyes and not doing exactly everything you wanted and say everything you wanted. You struggle with that because your love for God is not there. So get your vertical relationship with God right. Then you'll have your horizontal relationships will come into play. We'll be lined up. 
Once we understand that, once you understand that, I understand that, we must devote our love for God and then allow him to work by his power of the Holy Spirit to work through your life to touch the lives of people around you. And you will be able to forgive. You will be able to love. You'll be able to, to give and to help and to share and to, to be sacrificed for the sake of other people because God is working through your life and you're blessed by it. Then we see here in a continuation of a reminder of the law and said in verse 6, And these words which I command you today shall be in your, your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You must teach your children the word of God, especially this one great commandment. The two in the New Testament, but this one right here, he's saying, you must teach the commandments, but especially you must teach your children. They live to love God. Not only are you going to diligently, diligently, this is not passive. This is concentrated, focused, purpose, planned effort, diligently teaching your children. And shall talk with, of them when you sit in your house or when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as a as frontlets between your eyes, you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on the gates. Now, this is a very fascinating thing. You look at it and go, that's very interesting. And until you go to Israel, then you see this all played out in the, 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 by the Pharisees and the, and the priests over there and the rabbis. It is, it is interesting. I mean, it's one, it comes to life. Because literally, they take this word and they play it out literally with, um, with, uh, with uh, uh, hello, I just drew a blank on the name here, uh, uh, phylacteries and these little, these little boxes. But let me, let me stay focused here. So as we take a look at this here, this great command was, is, is, in the, is it from a heart perspective, not a literal perspective. The heart must be right. It must communicate with children. It must keep the topics of the things of God, the commandments, the Ten Commandments, the loving the God, the God and how they live their life is all to reflect their entire life is devoted to loving this one God. God of their fathers, their forefathers, all the way to Abraham. This one God who created the heavens and the earth. The one who sustains your life. Who's the one that gives you life. This person you must stay focused on every single day with all your heart. With all your mind. With all your soul and strength. Every part of your being. To a point where he's saying they should be bind. They shouldn't always be right there in this, a, a sign in your hand. It should be right there in the, the forefront of your thoughts of everything about loving God and being obedient to what he's called you to do. That's what Moses is telling them. Today we see that played out literally because by the time Jesus saw these Jewish people based the practice of these wearing these phylacteries on this of the passage, they would take scripture and write on a piece of paper, put them in these little boxes, and you'd see these black boxes, and they would be big boxes and very gaudy boxes. And the more boxes you have stacked up to big, and then the next, the next, the next, and they're wrapped in this black leather strap, to have, and they'd walk up to the, 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 the wall there in Jerusalem and they'd be praying and they'd be walking around and you just look so spiritual. 
And then when you see them come and they've got these boxes and they're literally big box, little box, little box, and you got those little, little teepee of a, a pyramid shaped little box and they'd be strapped around their head in big black leather. Again, they're trying to literally play out what the scripture says here in Deuteronomy. That you must have at the forefront of your mind. You must have it on, the, on your hand, the scripture, the, the truths of God, and it would be in there. But that's not what he said. This is a heart. This should, when you're focusing on your day, he's saying, focus on me and what, you want, what I'm asking you to do today. Not what you want to do and then try to get God to help you to do it because you want to do things. And it's like, okay, God, I need your help because I've been trying to do this on my own and it's not working. So I need you now to get involved here. And can you get me what I want to do? And I want to go where I want to go and I want to play. That's not how it works. Our day is to wake up and say, God, what do you have for me? Whatever it is on your agenda, this is what I will do for you. That is why Christians today struggle walking with God because they do not want to give their day to God completely with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. They just won't. You just, that's our struggle. Because we want to do what we want to do when we want to do it and how we want to do it. And if, and, and if it works, great. I can do it in my own strength. But if it doesn't work, then I'll call God and say, can you come take care of this situation for me? We must learn to love God completely. Jesus condemned these Jewish Pharisees who had these wearing these phylacteries because they would make this phylactery boxes so large and so showy and so display their spirituality and look down upon people. Go back and read Matthew 23.5 on that. But understand... In the end times, we're going to see this play out even more. Because in the end times, there will be a satanic imitation of the same practice when the number of the Antichrist will be applied to either the hand or the forehead of all who will take it and worship him. We see that in Revelation 13, 16. Where's those marks placed? On the hand and the, or the forehead. You'll see this played out. We won't as believers. I believe we're going to be raptured out of here. But those who left behind will see this. We also know when he says, you shall write them on the doorpost of your houses. If you've ever been to a Jewish home, they have this practice of the mezuzah, which is this little long metal box. They put scripture in it, and it's usually at an angle and on the right-hand side of the doorpost. And they touch it as they're leaving the house and come in, if you've ever seen that. That's part of the same, that's what they're doing. They're literally putting it in these little metal boxes on their doorstep so they have the scripture there and they touch it in and entering, coming in and out. 
Now we see the danger of leaving God in times of prosperity and it is a warning to them because they're going to go into this beautiful place and everything is provided for them. God is literally paving their way, literally blessing them with a land of milk and honey and all of the resources. Let, let me look at, let's look, read this in verses 10 through 12. So it will shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land of which we swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities. They're saying, we're going to give you very large and beautiful cities here, which you did not build. Houses full of all good things, which you did not fill. Hewn out wells, which you did not dig. Vineyards and olive trees, which you did not plant. When you have eaten and are full, then beware. Then beware. Lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt and from the house of bondage. Right from the very beginning, be very careful. When God's blessing you and providing for you and above and beyond in things that you didn't even do. But you're being rewarded for being blessed from it. Be very careful. There's a warning. Because you may forget the fact that you were a sinner and have been saved by the grace of God. And you'll go back to the old life. He's telling the people, be very careful when you walk in here and you have everything given to you. You, have all, you don't have to work for it. You have to conquer the enemies and you have to take possession of it. But all of this stuff is provided for you. It's all this wealth, all this good stuff. Be careful. Because you're going to forget what God has done to bring you to that and who gave you that. You'll stop worshiping God. You'll stop following God. You will just be wrapped up into all that good stuff. That lifestyle that you have now. All the plenty. No worries. Why? Because he says, you shall... Fear, in verse 13, you shall fear the Lord your God and serve him and shall take oaths in his name. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the people who are all around you. For the Lord your God is a jealous God among you, lest the anger of the Lord your God are aroused against you and destroy you from the face of the earth. You shall not tempt the Lord your God as you tempted him and Massa. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God, his testimonies and his statutes, which he has commanded you. You shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may be well with you, and that you may go in and possess the good land of which the Lord swore to your fathers to cast out all your enemies before you as the Lord has spoken. When when we do this, when you, you shall fear the Lord your God and serve him. When you do this, the idea is that of not of shrinking in fear of an angry God who's going to strike me. That's not what he's saying here. It's the, it's the idea of fear of more of the concept of an awe-filled respect of understanding who God is and what he has done and what can, he can do. To love an awesome God who has done such wonderful work in our lives. Do you know this is the very passage 
that Jesus used to go and push back Satan? When he was in the wilderness? And when the, Jesus had to quote this to Satan, when Satan attempted him there, uh, that uh, in the wilderness it said that, uh, you know, why don't you just, just jump off? Why don't you see what the God's going to do? Let's, let's, let's see if God's going to rescue you. You know, let's, let's, it's tempting him to see what God's going to do. And he, Jesus replied, you shall, not, you shall fear the Lord your God and serve him. It's only right to fear God. It's only right to worship God. It's only right to serve God. It was wrong to bow down to say no matter what might he be given him or promise him. And that we see that in Matthew 4 verses 8 through 10. And you should not take oaths in his name. Even the concept of oaths in God's name can certainly be abused, right? Jesus pointed that out in Matthew 5, verses 33 through 37. That these permissible use of oaths by those who follow God, since God himself uses oaths. We studied that in Hebrews chapter 6 uh, uh, just a few weeks ago. But here Israel is being told you are to swear an oath only to the name of the Lord and not in the name of any other God. And you shall not tempt the Lord your God with your temptation to him in, in Massa. Jesus quoted Satan in the wilderness. So again, back to Matthew chapter 4, verses 5 through 7, where he's talking about the pinnacle of the temple. Go ahead, jump. He says, No, 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 don't be tempting. You're not to tempt God. Jesus knew it was wrong to demand any sort of proof from God of his love. Why? Because every day that God has given you life is proof that he loves you. The fact that Jesus has done what he has done in your life proves of his love for you. You don't sit there and say, tempt God and say, God, if you do this, then I know you'll love me. No, no, don't do that. Don't do that. Or if you don't get what you want, God must not love me. Don't do it. That's just a trick of the enemy. That's from the pit of hell. That is not of God. You got to get that out, that stinking thinking out of the mind because that will bring you down and spiral you down. That's what Satan tried to do to Jesus. In the wilderness, it's the same trickery that, that Satan and the demonic forces will do to you and to me today. And we've got to be very careful. Anytime we deny God's love for us or demand he do something for us, we are testing him as if he must answer our standards. The scripture here they're telling him is that you do that, you're tempting him to judge us. So Moses says, don't do this. Don't go down this path. Don't even try this. This is not how it works. This theme 
You know, here it says, you shall do what is right, that it may be well for you. This, this constant theme of repeating under the old, the old covenant. Israel's blessing was based on their obedience, if you remember. If you're obedient, then you're blessed. If you're obedient, that's what God calls you to do. When they obeyed, they would be blessed. When they disobeyed, they would be cursed. We've seen that throughout the Old Testament and the Torah that we've been going through these five books. But this is not the source of blessing for the new covenant, for you and I. In the new covenant, we are blessed by faith in Jesus. Our faith in Jesus is what blesses us. And since he fulfills the law in our place, he's completely fulfilled that law. We see that clearly written in Romans chapter 8. Verses, in the beginning, three, I think, verses 3 and 4. But the key words of blessing under the Old, Test, under the Old Covenant was all about earning and deserving. If you think of the Old, Old, Old Covenant, it's you earning it and then deserved it. If you earned it, then you deserve it. But in the New Testament, it's about believing and receiving. Believing and receiving. That's the difference between Old Testament and New Testament. The new covenant system works because we receive the new covenant. God is coming into us and inner, in, in our inner transformation of our lives. Where the law of God and the desire to do his will is now written on our hearts. Not on a piece of paper. It's written on our hearts. When you accept Jesus, he comes in and writes on our hearts the will of God and the love for God. And he makes this safe place for us. This safe place of grace for our lives, for that inner transformation to take place. See, because under the new covenant, there is no judgment from God for our disobedience. <laughs> Let me say that again. Under the new covenant, there is no judgment from God for our disobedience. Because all of the judgment we deserved was paid by our Savior, Jesus Christ, on the cross. Our sins were wiped out completely. Are you, do you have that settled in your minds, my brothers and sisters? Do you know you can rest? The fact that you're, you're all of your sins, everything was completely wiped out like you've never sinned before. You've been justified. However, there may be correction from the hand of a loving God, the Father himself, not in the sense of making us pay for our sin, but in the sense of training us not to continue in that sin. Just like a parent, you don't punish that child to make him pay. You train up a child so that he would learn not to do it again. 
and learn not to do it from the example you've laid and showing that don't do this or that can happen. That is correction. And there are the very natural consequences of our disobedience which God has not promised to shield us from. So if you go out and do things, you could receive natural consequences for your actions that God does not stop from happening. That's why we have to be very careful. That if you think you have a license under grace to go live in sin however you want to, you are in absolutely do not understand the scripture. And you do not understand grace. And you do not understand the love of God. You don't. In verse 20 of chapter 6, we see that we're supposed to avoid the apostasy in times of prosperity. Again, it continues here to teach the children about understanding it, that you need to keep your eyes on God and honor him. But look at what happens. When your son asks you in time to come, saying, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statues and the judgments which the Lord our God has commanded? Then you shall say to your son, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand, and the Lord showed signs and wonders before our eyes, great and severe against Egypt, Pharaoh and all his household. Then he brought us out from here, from there, that he might bring us in to give us the land of which we, he swore to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God with, for our good all for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as it is, is it, it is this day. Then it will be righteous for us if we are careful to observe all these commandments before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. So the apostasy, that turning away from God, that turning the hearts away from God and the truths of God and living your life like the world and however you want it, comes from this prosperity that can affect them. They'll stop their eyes on God because they don't need God. They have all their needs met. They, have, they don't need anything. They're just going to live their life from one generation to the next and they're just going to grow up expecting prosperity. Do you know a lot of kids today, I think after I read this, a lot of kids struggle today with a relationship with God because they did not experience the bondage. They've, everything's been given to them by their parents. They've never learned how to work. They don't know how to, to have struggles. They just expect prosperity. They just expect people are going to give them everything. They don't have to go out and earn it. And they're taught right here. You're, you're, the prosperity, this warning. They, you could be... Their whole generation could be expecting prosperity and blessing without understanding the repentance and the walk with God which led to this prosperity. And they're asking the question, what happens if the next generation says, how did we get so lucky here? This is our guy, everything's so great, so beautiful. I don't know, we've always lived, we've always had everything. Mom and dad somehow always got it for me. I just asked for it and they just got it for me. If they didn't, I just screamed a little louder. 
how quickly one generation and the next generation forgets what it means. What God has done in the life of the previous generation. That's why he's saying in the very beginning, you must teach your children diligently so that they don't under, they completely understand. The reason why they are prospering is because of the fact that God Almighty, who they're to love with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength, brought your entire nation out of bondage. That's why it's essential. He's saying... Teach and warn your children so that the blessing given to one generation would not become a curse for the next generation. I believe that is why we're in the problem we're in. Because the generation stopped teaching the word of God. They stopped teaching the word of God in the house. The parents stopped studying the word of God and teaching it to their children and to their grandchildren and the next generation and next generation. And that is where we're problem we're in. The absence of God, you have animalistic behavior. It is absolutely appalling to hear what kids are doing in our generation today. Why? Because the absence of God, that is exactly what you get. See, the key to the teaching was a very simple, simple thing that they had to remember to do. Just keep repeating and recounting of the testimonies of what God did in their lives. Of their parents' lives and all the way back to Abraham. Just keep repeating it. Keep telling them the story. Keep telling them these facts, this truth. So it's passed very clearly, very easily from one generation to the next by the testimony of God. God saved them from the bondage of Egypt. Parents need to today as well need to relate to their children how they came to a personal relationship with Jesus. You must teach your children, remind your children of the testimony of God changing your life and to your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren. However long God teaches you, you must keep telling your testimony to your children and those around you. You must. If they're going to understand there's a loving God that will save a wretched man like me. We must carefully observe this, they say. All of these commandments you must observe. Chapter 7. Pretty quick. It's commandments to conquer and obey. We've seen this played out in the previous books. But let's go through this. When the Lord our God brings you into the land which you go to possess and has cast out many nations before you, the Hittites, the Gergesites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Parasites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than you. And when the Lord your God delivers them over to you, when the Lord delivers these mighty nations over to you, you shall conquer them and utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them, nor show mercy to them, nor shall you make or marriages with them. You shall not give your daughter to their son or nor 
Take their daughter for your son, for they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. So the anger of the Lord will be aroused against you and destroy you suddenly. But thus you shall deal with them. You shall destroy their altars and break down their sacred pillars and cut down their wooden images and burn their carved images with fire. Hey, when you go in here, you're going to wipe these people out completely and you're going to have no signs of any false worship at all. And you are not going to marry into a non-believing Jewish family. That's not going to happen. A believer to a non-believer. Nation of Israel is not mixed with not this other nations. They're not following God. Or you're not. If you do, it was a warning. The intermarrying with someone with not the same belief will pull them away. It's happened still today. Non-believers are not to marry. Uh, believers are not to marry non-believers. If not, that non-believer will pull you away from worshiping God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. To utterly destroy. Verse 6. For you are a holy people to the Lord our God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself. He has said, you're mine. God still says that today. You're mine. When he saved you, you're mine. A special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people for you were the least of all the people. You didn't have anything to offer. <laughs> you had nothing. But God chose you. But because the Lord loves you, he chose you. And because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with the mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage, from the hand of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Why did he bring them out? Why did he choose them? Because God loved them. Why did you get saved? Why are you brought out of your bondage of sin? Because he loves you. This has to be the greatest motive and the greatest motivation, I should say, for obedience. Knowing and walking in the love of God. See, when we really believe God loves you, that really that God loves us, and live with that belief as a conscious fact, we will find it so much easier to obey and lead a life that's pleasing to our Heavenly Father. Most people struggle with that simple fact that God loves them. And you have to grow and mature to understand that truth. Get it solidified. Regardless how you feel, regardless what you think, leaning on your own understanding, Measuring it based on your, your, how obedient you are. Not, you have to understand God loves you. That he sent his son for you. And that he sent a helper for you. To live a life that is pleasing to him. Verse 9, therefore know that the Lord your God is, the Lord your God, he is God. The faithful God who keeps covenant and mercy for the 
a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments, and he repays those who hate him to their face. To destroy them, he will not slack with him who hates him. He will repay him to his face. Therefore, you shall keep the commandment, the statutes, and the judgments, which I command you today to observe them. Oh, so many generations have passed. So many generations. So many generations the Canaanites had demonstrated their hatred for God. It was clear as can be they hated God. Now using Israel, his people, he's going to use them as an instrument to God to repay them with judgment. He's going to bring his people in and judge these people who hated him. Verse 12, then it shall come to pass because you listen to these judgments and keep and do them that the Lord your God will keep with you the covenant and the mercy which he swore to your fathers and he will love you and bless you and multiply you. Again, here comes the promise. He will also bless the fruit of your womb, lots of kids, and the fruit of your land, your grain, and your new wine, and your, your oil, the increase of your cattle, the offsprings of your flock, and the land of which he swore to your father to give you. You shall be blessed above all peoples. There shall, be, there shall not be a male or female barren among you or among your livestock. I mean, this is absolutely blessing. And everything of your life. And the Lord will take away from you all sickness and will afflict you with none of the terrible diseases of Egypt which you have known, but will lay them on lay them on all those who hate you, and you shall destroy all the peoples whom the Lord your God delivers over your over to you, your eyes shall have no pity on them, nor shall you serve their gods, for that will be a snare to you. Yeah, he's saying, you're going to be so blessed. People are going to watch your life. It's going to be incredible there in, the, in Canaan. And all these people are going to, you're going to watch how God is going to bring curse and is going to bring disease over these people and everything who hates them. Don't go thinking you're going to go save them. Don't think you're going to go help them. You're just going to let God do God thing. You just stay focused on doing what God's called you to do. God is going to deal with it. Those who hate him. And God will take care of you for those who love him. And now look at what happens in verse 17. And if you should say in your heart, these nations are greater than I, how can I possess them? You shall not be afraid of them, but you shall remember well what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and all to all Egypt. The great trials which your eyes saw, and the signs and the wonders and the mighty hand, the outstretched arm by which the Lord your God brought you out. So shall the Lord your God do to all the peoples of whom you are afraid. Moreover, the Lord your God will send the hornet among them until those who are left who hide themselves from you are destroyed. You shall not be terrified of them for the Lord your God, the great and awesome God is among you. And the Lord God, your and the Lord your God will drive out those nations before you little by little. You will be unable to destroy them at once. Notice that. You may want to destroy them all at once and get this over with. But no, it's going to be little by little. It's going to, be it's going to take over time. There's a purpose and a reason for this. Watch this. Um, lest the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. 
But the Lord your God will deliver them over to you and will afflict defeat upon them until they are destroyed. And he will deliver their kings into your hand and you will destroy them, destroy their name from under heaven. No one shall be able to stand against you until you have destroyed them. Okay, I know you would like to get this over with and get get, destroy every all the enemies and take them out. But I have you. You don't fully understand what's going on here. He's saying. If I let you take all your enemy out, the beasts of the field would become too great and they would take over you. They would conquer you. They would would ravage the land. So we need to have these people fight these animals, these beasts, and you're slowly going to take them out. Because as he slowly takes the enemies out, they're growing in prosperity and size and scope and strength to be able to keep the beasts of the land at bay. See, sometimes we say, why doesn't God just get this over with? Because you and I don't know the full picture. We don't know if, if we got what we asked for, it might destroy us. We must trust our God that knows all things, sees all things, and he's always present be very careful when you press God to get what you want to get even though you know that's his will you know this is going to happen but you want it in your timing and you lean on your own understanding how you're going to do it no 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 we must trust God it's his work he's doing in and through us we must if it's slower than us he's probably teaching us patience (laughs) it might be teaching us patience to go through this test if something doesn't work out, something is not there, it just smoothly didn't just happen, we were supposed to do this in two days and it took five days, there is a very specific reason. And God may be the only one that knows it. Hindsight we might know, but we may not know at the moment what we're going through is actually according to God's plan. God's faithfulness. You have to remember, it says right there what we just read, you shall not be afraid of them, but you shall remember well what the Lord your God did. He's saying that's so important for us. They have to uh, recollect, they must remember that God's faithfulness in the past would give them the hope they need in the current struggle that they're going to go through. Let me remind you, that's so true for us. God's faithfulness to bring you through so much in your life has to be, is what gives you the hope in the current or the future struggles you'll find yourself in. You must remember what God brought you through. You must remember these things to give you the hope. And lastly here, 25 and 26, He's gonna. He, Moses is giving a very, very important thing. That be careful of abominations here. He says, "You shall burn the carved images of their gods with fire, and you shall not covet the silver or the gold that is is on them, nor take it for yourselves, lest you be snared by it, for it is an abomination to the Lord your God. Nor shall you bring an abomination into your house, lest you be do- doomed." to destruction like it, and you shall utterly detest it and utterly abhor it, for it is an accursing thing, an accursed thing. So that last push 
to make it very clear to this generation, don't touchy, no touchy of this world. You see the world and all this bling and gold and prosperity and all these things that you want from this worldliness, worldliness things, be very careful if you could be snared by that temptation. You could be snared by certain things and it will bring you down to the bottom. Be very careful. You also have to understand, not only will you be snared, but if you think you can just bring it into your house, worldly things into your house, it's an abomination. It's, it's wrong. You cannot bring that worldly stuff into your house. It will destroy you. You must keep it out. That's what he's saying here. You must get to a point where your heart says, I love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and I detest that things of the world. I detest the things that are going to try to snare me. I detest they're the things that God says that are an abomination. I detest, utterly abhorred it, and I do not want anything to do with it. It's an accursed thing. That is what we have to do with regards to sinful things of this world today. If this stuff is going against God, you must learn to what? Detested, utterly abhorred, and, and, and see it as a cursed thing, and you do not touch it. You don't entertain it. You don't let it just slightly come into the house. No, no, no. You won't believe how many people I have conversations with their kids that the phone at a young age has destroyed the minds of their kids. And then you talk about the adults. The school systems. Oh, we can go on and on. That's creeping in. That literally things that go against the word of God and we allowed it because we brought it into the house. Ooh. May we learn from the scriptures this evening how important it is. These truths are good. These are right. These are great warnings that Moses was to give to that generation. And it was all around prosperity and what the world that they were going into had to offer them. And all of those were warnings that it would cause you and I, cause them not to love the Lord God with all their heart and mind, soul, and strength. They would love others more importantly. Other stuff more importantly. The world more importantly. Be very careful. That's what Moses is saying.